0: I' invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter one, beginning at verse 18. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Chapter one. We're going to begin together at verse 18, where Paul writes, "For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved." It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of Of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And now, as I stand before these your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The cross. It is the symbol of our faith. The cross, it's the, the symbol of the gospel. And gospel means good news. So this, this is what reminds us of the good news of God. But who is on that cross? What difference does the cross Really make. Paul tells us the cross is like a stumbling block for many. It's true in Paul's day, it's even true in our day, and and I think that's pretty understandable. The cross, what an odd symbol for us to have. The cross, well, it was the instrument of the death penalty in Jesus' day, in Paul's day makes for an interesting symbol of the faith. It's it's not like the polished brass cross we sometimes place on our altar tables or or even the polished gold or silver crosses we might wear around our necks or even the crosses we may have on our rings. Sometimes even the cross that we might find in a stained glass window, that's that's not the way the cross of Jesus looked. It was a, a rugged wooden cross. It was a blood-stained cross. I, I wonder, wonder if if Jesus' cross was a new cross, or wonder if that cross had been used before. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? That that cross had held someone else before it held our Lord. The cross, the symbol of our faith, is a challenging sign. It was then, it is today. I shared with you recently a book by Nabil Qureshi, which is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And that's one of the things he wrestles as he's making his move from being a devout Muslim to uh, experiencing Jesus Christ in the Christian faith was that how could God, one, come and live among us as a human being? God deserves so much more than that. But the thought that God himself would die on a cross, that's sometimes just too much to fathom we're going to come up with a sign for the faith, wouldn't it be nice if we could come up with something maybe prettier, something like a heart symbol. Let's get a nice big red heart emblem and maybe put some glitter on it, make it very Valentine-ish. Well, that would make us feel warm and fuzzy and, and that would help express love. But the cross, how does a cross say Love. And yet, that's what this symbol says for us. That's what the reality of the cross of Jesus does for us. I believe the church needs to reclaim our understanding of the cross. For many of us, it has just become a symbol. But for the Christian, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is, as Paul refers to it, as the power of God. And without the cross, we undermine what God is doing, God's amazing love. Without the cross, we even undermine John 3.16. Remember, context means so much when you read the scripture. Many of us quote John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. That is gorgeous. Now back up a couple of verses to John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And what we read in the scripture is, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Remember that story, how in the Exodus, when the people were murmuring against God, poisonous snakes appear, they begin biting the people, and and God tells Moses to take one of the serpents, put it on his rod, hold it up, and if the people looked and saw the serpent that was now lifted up on the rod and believed, God would be able to heal them. Jesus says in his conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, Verse 14, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You see, even that beautiful scripture is about this cross. The HarperCollins Study Bible, the notes say that understanding the significance of the crucified Jesus is essential to the spiritual healing that he provides. Paul is writing to this church at Corinth and he shares with them, I didn't come trying to preach something that was really eloquent to you. I didn't try to come and and use all these words of wisdom and art to try to convince you. I just tried to speak the plain truth. He says, for example... In verse 17, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. So that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. The cross, it's, it's an extraordinary, amazing act of God. Of God intervening in our world, intervening in our lives, coming in, taking human form, yes, but God being willing to die on a cross, that is that that is amazing. It, it surpasses wisdom. It's, it's confusing at times, bewildering. How could God love so much? First Corinthians 1, verse 23 and 24 again says, but we proclaim Christ. Crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are being called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Peter. In Acts chapter 2, following Pentecost, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has occurred and he's preaching to the crowds that that were listening, after he proclaims who Jesus is of Nazareth, he then goes on to say in Acts 2 verse 36, Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus, whom you have crucified. The crucifixion, Paul says in Romans 1, 16, For I then am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and to the Greek. You see, rather than being um, an emotional kind of love, a sentimental kind of love that we could do with the Valentine heart and a little glitter, The love of God for us is sacrificial love. It's costly love. You know, anytime we love someone, it changes us and it begins to be expensive. You enter into a relationship with someone else and all of a sudden you're no longer simply thinking about you, but you're thinking about them. It's no longer just your schedule, but you're thinking about their schedule and their lives and how can you be there to support and care for them And it's costly. What can I do to show someone that I love them? You have children, you know the story. The moment you have children, it is no longer about you, it is no longer about your life. Your schedule is now the child's schedule. We got to get home, it's bedtime, because you know what happens if you go past bedtime. It's not your schedule anymore. You love your children enough you want it to be their schedule. You want to provide for them. You want to care for them. You want to show them your love. And costly? According to the United States Department of Agriculture, the average cost now of raising a child through the age of 17, so in other words, up to their 18th birthday when they become an adult, so just up to 18, not including college, you will spend right at a quarter million dollars right at a quarter million dollars, and yet we do it every day because we love. Love is costly. It's sacrificial. I love someone. I'm willing to provide for them. And forgiveness is also costly. You don't believe that? Wait until that child turns 16, and you wonder why your insurance goes so high on your automobiles? It's because you're probably going to experience forgiveness here at some point. I mean, accidents are going to happen. I remember our kids when they are those young drivers, accidents happen. In one case, an accident occurred and I was thinking, you know, that would have probably happened to me. It was an accident. And and do I forgive? Well, of course I forgive. But there was still some cost. I mean, there was some damage that was done and, You got to be able to fix the other person's property and you got to be able to fix your property. And even if you go, well, the insurance covered it, somebody covered it. When forgiveness occurs, there is still a cost. So love and forgiveness tend to be sacrificial. And God is willing to forgive us, but there was still a cost of forgiveness. And that cost is the cross. I'm reminded that that's actually my cross. And the beautiful thing that we have that Paul says can be so confusing to so many people is that this God that we have, this powerful God who can create the world by simply saying the words, this God loved us enough to intervene in our lives and to offer us forgiveness and grace and to cover the cost, to cover the cost of salvation. This is why I can't be a universalist. There are so many people that, that, that tend to want to place Jesus on the golden corral buffet of spirituality as if he's just one of the entree options that you can pull from. I think God did something unique in and through Jesus Christ. He came to live among us, God himself, and God himself died on a cross so that I can be forgiven and rose again to verify my forgiveness And offer me everlasting life. You see, God came on this cross for me because that's what love looks like genuine love, real love, relationship kind of love is sacrificial and it's costly. And my sin and my brokenness, that's what placed Jesus on the cross, because that was my cross. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, says this The essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself. For us, we put ourselves where only God deserves to be. And God puts Himself where we deserve to be. Timothy Keller puts it this way in his book, The Reason for God. He said, the fact that Jesus had to die for me humbled me out of my pride. The fact that Jesus was glad to die for me assures me out of my fear. Paul says, you know, we we have this cross. It may just seem like foolishness to so many in the world, but to those of us who are being saved, this is the power of God. Eugene Peterson, again, paraphrases the scripture this way. So 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and following from the message. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction, But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works. And most powerfully, as it turns out. It's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as crackpots. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in His wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb, preaching of all things, to bring those who trust Him into the way of salvation. While the Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations and Greeks go in for philosophical wisdom, we go right on proclaiming Christ The crucified. Jews treat this like an anti-miracle and Greeks pass it off as absurd. But to us who are personally called by God himself, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the ultimate miracle. And wisdom wrapped up in one. Human wisdom is so tiny, so impotent next to the seemingly absurdity of God human strength can't begin to compete with God's weaknesses. If you turn to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, he paraphrases the following two verses. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. Malcolm Muggeridge, he, is, um, a, 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 he was an atheist. He was an agnostic who then rediscovered Christ in his book, Jesus Rediscovered. He says this about the cross. I would catch a glimpse of the cross. And suddenly my heart would stand still. In an instinctive, intuitive way, I understood that something more important, more tumultuous, more passionate was at issue than all of our good causes, however noble they might be. I should have worn it. It should have been my uniform, my language, my life. I shall have no excuse. I can't say I didn't know. I knew from the beginning and I turned away. The cross, it's more than just a pretty symbol for us, more than just a symbol of our faith. This is the gospel, this is the good news that God loved you and loved me enough to intervene in our world, to intervene in our lives, to offer us forgiveness as we discussed last week, to offer us forgiveness, to offer us grace, and to take our place and pay the cost and to assume our sin, our guilt, our shame, and place it on the cross so that I can be forgiven and set free. Charles Wesley wrote many of the hymns that we love to sing. One such hymn is, O love divine, what hast thou done? Listen to these words O love divine, what hast thou done? The immortal God hath died for me. The Father's co eternal Son bore all my sin. Upon the tree, the immortal God hath died for me. My Lord, my love is crucified, is crucified for me and you, and brings us rebels back to God. Believe, believe the record true. You all are bought with Jesus' blood. Pardon for all flows from his side. My Lord, my love is crucified. Behold him, all ye that pass by, the bleeding prince of life and peace. Come, sinners, see your Savior die. And say, was ever grief like this, come. Fill with me his blood applied. My Lord, my love is crucified. This cross, it's more than something on a ring, something around our neck, something in the stained glass. This is, as Paul says, the gospel. It may seem like foolishness to some, but to those of us being saved, this is the power of God. A heart or a cross? Which one says, I love you the most? I'll go with the cross. In the name of the Father